and welcome to Beckett Talks, the podcast from Leeds Beckett University. In these podcasts, we will be showcasing our diverse community of students and academics, touching on the important themes that surround universities today. In this series, Beckett Talks, Be Beckett Ready, we will give you advice and help on your journey to being a student with us. The episodes will cover everything from being the first in your family to go to university and looking at what our students' union can do for you once you get here. Our disability advice team can provide information and advice to any student who has a long-term physical or mental health condition, a specific learning difficulty such as dyslexia, or a physical disability such as sight or hearing loss or mobility issues. It is really important to contact and register with them as soon as possible. In addition, many disabled students are entitled to disabled students' allowances. This funding helps cover the cost of the support you need, whether it's specialist equipment, software, or non-medical helper support such as specialist one-to-one support, specialist study skills tuition, and specialist mentoring. Again, it is important to apply as soon as possible to get the support in place. As you all hear, the support can make all the difference. Joining us today, we have Rye Harris, studying youth work and community development, Amy Hoyle, studying counselling and mental health, and Leah Richmond, studying events management. So our first question today is, we'll go to Rye first. What made you choose higher education over employment and vocational training? Hi, um, I feel one of the main reasons why I kind of leaned more towards higher education was, firstly, was because a lot of people in my family went into higher education. So it was kind of the trend within my family's days. But whenever I started looking for universities, I was recently actually getting diagnosed with Asperger's. And I was getting a lot of support from youth workers and youth services. And it made me realise that I wanted to give something back because I had the ability to be able to voice it, especially as an adult. Um, But the difficulties I was facing, and I felt that if I had the ability to voice them, I might be able to help others that are going through it might not be able to voice it. How did your family react to your decision to choose higher education? Well, as I said, um, higher education was kind of not the done thing, but it was kind of the trend within my family to go towards higher education. Whenever I was like, oh, I wanted to do youth work, my mum was initially quite shocked, purely because she thought I was going to go for something quite academic or sciencey, because that was the career path I was on whenever I was doing my GCSEs and A-levels. I feel having a conversation with her about the reasoning as to why I wanted to go into the profession I was choosing really helped her see there was a valid point to me studying especially studying youth work because it's quite a niche profession and it's quite a small profession especially in the UK. What's been the biggest obstacle that you've had to manage? I think the biggest obstacle was probably the fact that I didn't really understand DSA. I I did get it in my first year and that's when I started like going through the process but I didn't fully understand what I was doing. I just heard about it. I knew other people were doing it and they said it had helped them. And they were like, Amy, you really need to do this. So when I was going through the application, the process, I was just kind of filling forms in, not really understanding what I was going to get out of it. So I think if I'd have done my research and looked into it and probably just rang around a few people and actually asked for details of what I was doing, it would have made it a lot easier for me. And so we find a lot of students who do join us at university going through this process. There are some students who may 
have already been in receipt of some kind of financial aid through uh, previous years of education. It may be quite obvious to them that they do need additional support. There are some other underlying conditions or uh, issues with their own mental health or, or learning difficulties that they may not be aware that they're able to receive support for, or they may not even be aware that they have. So students that join with dyslexia may not be aware that they can actually receive support through certain software or certain additional timings. But a lot of that is worked out as we come through We have the reasonable adjustment meetings. So when you do join with the university, a member of the staff can actually meet with each individual student who may have additional requirements and they'll run through a more tailored program. So again, when you started that DSA program, how did you find that meeting? Was it easy to access staff and information from the university? And what was that process like to, to get those adjustments made? Well, it, it were a funny one, really, because I am epileptic, so I was born with it. So from birth till now, I've never, I've never got anything for it. I've never got help with it. I've never got financial aid. When I got given the opportunity to have extended exam times in my GCSEs, I never took it because I didn't want it. Mainly because I was ignoring it, I just wanted to be like everybody else. But when I went to university, my parents said, if you've got any opportunity to make your life easier, Amy, just do it. Just put your pride to one side and just go for it. And that's, again, probably why I did find it so, so difficult because I'd never gone through anything like that before. But when I finally got through the process and I got my software and I went to my reasonable adjustment meetings, it, it was quite straightforward. It did take a lot. It did take a long time to get there, but they really did help. For example, I can read and I can read quite well, but I'm more of an audio learner. So they went out of the way to find a way to put my books, all the books in the library, onto my Kindle. So then my Alexa could read the books to me. And it would just the stuff like that that really made the difference in my reasonable adjustments because they're also aware that I work as well. I can use my reasonable adjustment plan to get more time to do my assignments. So I emailed my tutors and they're like, yeah, you can have an extra four weeks on each assignment. And I accepted that for two of them. So it's once it's all in place, it is really easy to use and it's so helpful. And Leah Richmond, what made you choose higher education over employment or vocational training? Um, so when I finished college when I was 18, um, due to personal circumstances, I wasn't able to go into higher education, uh, which is what I actually had planned out. So because of um, circumstances, I had to work full time to pay rent because I lived on my own. So basically from the age of 18 to 21, I just worked. And then I basically got to a point where I was seeing a lot of my friends graduate um, and I was completely miserable with the life that I was living. And I've always enjoyed learning. I always enjoyed school. And I felt like I was just getting to a point where I needed to stop putting my life on hold um, and just do something for myself. And uh, so that's when I finally decided to apply, really. Excellent. How did your family react to that decision? I don't have the greatest relationship with some of my family, but the family that I do talk to were mostly really supportive. Um, they've never put too much pressure on me and my brother to go to university there were always other options um but I think that by me applying they knew that it could be something that um, really opened a lot of doors for me and opportunities and I think they they were aware of how badly I was suffering with my mental health and I think you know as well as me they thought that um, being at university if anything could only have like a positive effect on it um so yeah the, my family were mainly quite supportive really 
What about your friends? Do you have anyone surprised that you were looking to go back? Yeah, so I have a lot of friends that were surprised that I decided to um, do event management because before this I'd done drama and theatre studies and that's what I wanted to go into. So yeah, a lot of my friends were really surprised and sort of said to me like, well, where on earth did the events come from? Because where where I used to live, there weren't any events really ever. (laughs) So it was, yeah, my friends were quite shocked, but they were happy for me at the same time, I think. So when you were looking at applying to UCAS as well, did you disclose any information about Richard? disabilities on the form um I actually didn't know it was something that I sort of thought about for a while um and thinking about it now I probably should have put that on there and it would have saved me sort of a year's worth of stress but at the time I didn't disclose it I think because because I have really bad anxiety I think I just automatically catastrophized the situation in my head and thought oh no my tutors are going to be aware that I've that I've got really like bad mental health problems there might be some preconceptions of me going into the course and so I just instead of thinking like rationally I just kind of thought the worst so that kind of stopped me from disclosing the information on the form. If you do have issues with anxiety it's quite natural to think the worst case scenario is obviously it's quite a personal piece of information to be able to to release out into the world but it is important as you said you could have had a lot of things put in place a bit sooner uh, if you put it on the form but without knowing how that information is used you're very unlikely to to kind of dish that information out. But it is important to know that within the team uh, that receive that information, that information is actually given to our disabilities office and it's held confidentially. And there's only three instances where we can actually share that information. First one, we can only share it if we have your written permission. And the other two times that we can only uh, give it to anybody else is if there is a legal requirement to provide the information. So we are asked by the authorities or we have reason to believe that there could be risk of serious harm to you or others. Any other time, that information is not released with anyone else. So whenever I applied to uni, I was doing it through my college. So my college had a careers advisor who kind of sat down with everybody, um, was going through the UCAS applications. And whenever I was at college, I had a mentor who would sit me down once a week and go through the work I was doing and kind of read over things and make sure I was doing okay. She's the one that actually made sure that I put down that I had a registered disability when I was applying for UCAS to ensure that it would flag both to the universities, but it was also help me with my confidence in order to apply for disabled students allowance because I'd said I'd only recently been diagnosed with having Asperger's. So it was that whole thing of having somebody there to ensure that I tick the box, say, yes, I have a registered disability, really helped me in terms of like accessing support further down the line. Were you tempted to not include it on UCAS form? And if so, why? For no other reason than I was just fearful that it might be a detriment. I don't know why. You know the help is there, you know the support's there, but sometimes it can be internalised issues that stop you kind of going for that help initially. So it must be quite difficult when you yourself may not be fully aware of what you're, you've been diagnosed with as well. A lot of students, exactly. as you say, at that point in their life, they're only just coming to terms with, they may have known there's been something there for some, quite some time, but they've never had a label to put on it. So mm. without having your own head wrapped around it, it might be quite difficult to go, well, actually, I am, I have this or I, I suffer from this. Uh, and I say a lot of students may be worried that it might affect them detrimentally. Obviously, what we try and do with a lot of the university outreach work that we do is to make people aware that actually that information in no way will be detrimental to your application. 
we only use it within the disability office to make sure that we can actually allocate the right kind of resources and tools and have those meetings with you to make sure we have the right uh, reasonable adjustment meetings uh, to make sure we can put those resources in place for you. So when you started looking at applying for the DSA, then the financial support, how did you find that process? Was it easy? Was it more difficult? And how long did it kind of take? Um, the, filling the forms in were quite easy. Like uh, quite easy. It was just really like just doing the formalities of it all. You got sent the like well, you found the my friend found me the forms, sent me them, and I just filled it in and sent it off. A lot of the work was obviously done by people behind the scenes, having to sort through the forms and get in touch with me. And because they were constantly getting in touch with me, it was quite easy. I just needed to answer the questions that they needed to know. If you could give yourself some advice, you could go back to, to you when you began this whole process of applying to university and, and to look at this additional support. If you could give yourself any additional advice, what would it be? I'd say don't, because you've got to ask for help, don't class that as a weakness. Don't be scared that it makes you any less of a student. It's just giving you the tools to help you it's not a weakness it's actually a strength and it can really really come in handy so there's nothing to be ashamed of there's actually quite a few of my classmates who are also in receipt of DSA so we all kind of went through it together and got fused together and worked it out together so that that actually made it easier because they could give you advice you could give them advice and we all ended up in the same place eventually (laughs) I can pretty much promise you that you won't be alone in that situation. Even if it's not obvious, there will be other people who are going through exactly the same thing. So you're not like an outcast or rod for having to do it. There will be someone else who's going through exactly the same. They are so helpful. No matter what you ask, like no matter what, how difficult the question is, how easy it is, they'll try the best to support you. And I couldn't have asked for a better experience with them, to be honest. When you had applied and joined Leeds Beckham, we would have asked you to have a reasonable adjustments meeting. These meetings are again to make sure that those resources are put into place to, to help you and to tailor the support around you. How easy was it to start that process and, and what was it like? So I'm from Northern Ireland, so a lot of the policies and a lot of the procedure was actually done over the phone with me. And it was actually done whenever I was in between meetings at a project that I was volunteering with at the time. And it was really reassuring to actually have that phone call and to have that support explained to me and have the process explained to me and what an adjusted learning agreement is and what it means and what support it can offer. And it was literally organised. Like I had one conversation and that was my input and it was in place for my first week of university to ensure that whenever I started, it was there and that support was there from my first week. Leah? How easy was it to start that process? For me, I, I wasn't actually, I, I reached out, but it was more my personal level five tutor that could see that I was really, really struggling um, in my at the start of my second year. So for the whole of my first year, I didn't really go out of my way to actually get help because I thought it was something that I could deal with. And then my tutor basically took me to the disability services. She basically said to me it was urgent. I really, really needed support. And within a week, I was given a meeting with a really, really nice lady called Sarah. And she yeah, we basically just wrote out a whole plan for me um, stuff that was obviously reasonable for me and for the tutors as well. So we could all work together. So once I actually made that first step after that, it was it was a very easy process, I think. It can take quite a while. And often 
the, the issue they have is often evidence-based, and that's the same for most financial regulations. Well, if you're applying for your, your tuition fee, your maintenance load, or the DSA, it can take quite a while to, to implement these based on evidence, because they will often require letters from your doctors or um, any, any kind of formal written communication to outline any issues that you may be having. So, yeah, that can take quite a while. Uh, what I see, you've got your mentor at the moment. So who's the mentor and what are they managing to do for you? I've had her for about five weeks now, just while I wait for them to finish assessing my evidence, whatever they need to do. Um, so she basically is the bridge between sort of my mental health and my academic studies. So she's not there to be a counsellor or to, you know, make me better, but she's there to um, help me in terms of organising my work Things that I find really daunting, like group work, she's sort of there to help me create new ways of being able to work with people. She's basically just sort of there to help me during my academic studies. How did you feel having to present your own disability or learning difficulties to lecturers and support staff? So to have ownership over that process, so how, how did that feel? I've always been very upfront and honest about mental health. For no other reason than I've... I had access to mental health services through counselling and therapy since I was about 14, 15. So I've always been very upfront and honest whenever I'm struggling with mental health. There hasn't really been a, any detriment to me. And as well, my lecturers are all gently qualified youth workers. They're all very holistic, friendly people that are willing to engage in a meaningful conversation and a dialogue with you. So it hasn't been difficult for me personally to open up to lectures whenever I'm struggling and I think part of that is myself and also part of that is the academic team that teaches my course. Leah? So I think that I found the idea of doing that a lot more difficult than um, how it actually planned out because I don't I see I'm the opposite of Rye. I, I find it very difficult to talk about my mental health and I think I, I think it's gotten a lot easier recently but I think just in the past I've not been able to open up to people that are close to me so I've sort of naturally just gone into myself and become quite reserved so I've not really been willing to talk to people but I think after speaking to my personal tutor about it and then receiving that support and knowing that it's okay to ask for help and that it's okay to sort of you know your tutors they need to be aware of what's happening because they can actually really help you and you'll benefit more from doing that than if you just stay quiet so I, I did find it hard at first to open up the conversations but once I had done that um, I definitely reaped the benefits from it and I think in terms of deadlines and stuff like that my tutors have been very very reasonable with me and um, just very patient and understanding with the conditions that I have basically so yeah I think once I actually spoke to them I think um, I, I made the, I definitely made the right step. So before those steps if someone was to tell you that you'd be taking part in a podcast on behalf of the university to talk about mental health issues what do you reckon you would have said to yourself? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this before, you know, because it was one of the things that I would say to myself two years ago is to, yeah, I don't think I would have done something like this. I think I would have found it really, really scary. <laughs> but yeah, just knowing how supportive the university has been, something like this now, I feel like I would want to do again in the future. As before, I probably wouldn't have done it. Has there been anyone in particular that's mentored or helped you through that transition process of joining higher education? I definitely had mental health issues before I came to university um, because I lost my mum. So it was 
sort of different members of my family that really like pushed me to try and go into higher education and that's why I found it so difficult when I did come to university but I think my personal tutor Hannah I mean it helps that we're very similar as people but she has really gone above and beyond for me while I've been at university you know more than anyone and she didn't really have to do that it's not really her job as such. So, yeah, I think that um, as far as personal shooters go, she has been absolutely amazing in sort of getting me the help and then myself just sort of going forward with it. Right. Has there been anyone in particular, again, that's helped mentor you through the, the process and transition to HE? For me, there's been like a list as long as my arm in terms of people that have been there to be supportive for another reason than like I was already engaged with my college's mental health services and their um, a support team and I was already involved in youth groups and I had a youth worker and I was already getting that support and then whenever I got to university there was the disability team but there was also a few members and a few specific members of my course team that like really helped that transition period so one of them was a lecturer who is now on a completely different team within the School of Health and Community Studies, Sue Lindsay, she was fantastic at my interview. Like, she turned up to my interview. Like, I'd flown over from Northern Ireland. She turned up half an hour late. And I initially was very like, what's going on? Oh, this is this is dodge. This is weird. And then she explained to me that she'd been on the phone with a dissertation student for half an hour because they really panicked and she was on the phone with them for half an hour and then went in for an interview with me. And halfway through the interview, just like had a very, not frank chat, but quite a good chat about mental health, mental health services and what can be offered by the university and also things on the course that I study that would benefit me as someone who has mental health issues, but someone who has mental health issues that could help amplify the voice of others who can't speak up about their mental health issues. There's also people like Alan Smith, who's been really supportive of me, especially in this academic term where I've been really struggling with mental health. And there's just tons of people at the university that if I was to go through every single one of them, it would be at least as long as my arm. It's good to know. So yeah, you've got that many people that can help you out. So- if you had the opportunity to go back to, to talk to yourself before you started this process, before you possibly started university, is there any particular piece of advice that you'd want to give yourself? I think the advice I'd give myself is to try not to be so guarded because I know I'm quite open about mental health and I actively try and be. But I think there was just times throughout the process where I'd be engaged with and I knew I didn't want to be engaged with so I put up a front and I put up guard rather than just being completely honest about mental health at that specific time. I'm talking about first year for me but I think one of the things I would tell myself is to try not to be so guarded because the people that you're working with are there to help you. Thank you. Leah? Yeah, mine would be along the same lines, to be honest. Definitely, if I could have told myself this before university, um, don't be scared to ask for help and, you know, like learn to have open conversations with the people that are there to help you, like Rice said, because, you know, for me, I suffered for a long time in silence because I couldn't make that first step. 
Um, and then knowing what I know now, being able to open up and, and ask for that help, it, it, it really is a massive first step. And it, it's it's the first step to being positive and being happy, I think, um, during your studies. So, so yeah, definitely would be the same advice. Just Just don't be so guarded and don't be scared to ask for help. Asking for help is a sign of strength, not weakness. Exactly. Definitely. My last bit of advice would be to just do things out of your comfort zone because you don't know when you're going to get the chance to do it again, really. Give yourself time, especially during Freshers' Week where everything's mental and there's so much going on, there's so much to process. Giving yourself an hour where you just get a brew, you go into your room, you sit there for a bit and you switch off, you watch some YouTube, you do something that you know that you enjoy that's quiet and calm, especially if you're struggling with mental health issues or you're trying to come to terms with a massive change. It's good to give yourself that time just to process what's happening before you jump back in again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Be Beckett Ready. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you would like to find out more, including upcoming dates for our open days, please check our website leadsbeckett.ac.uk or follow the link in the description.